It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. I'd like to welcome uh, our next guest to the show, Dr. Mel Borens. And he's an associate professor of faculty of medicine at the University of Toronto and the author of Go Away Just for the Health of It. <laughs> I like the name of that one. And he's an expert in laughter is the best medicine, alternative medicine, in dealing with stress and anxiety. Well, Dr. Mel, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. It's great to be with you. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Now, what do we, when you, when you hear the word alternative medicine, what other sources of medicine do we, or do we think of as, as when you hear that alternative? Basically, what we consider in medicine what is alternative is what we don't actually learn in medical school. So if you thought about herbal, herbal remedies, if you thought mm. about homeopathy, mm. um, different kinds of uh, massage therapy, mm. uh, the, the, you know, and then there are all the spiritual healers and all these kinds of different approaches to healing, different from our Western model. When you're saying that, I just thought it's interesting because a lot of those things like uh, homeopathy and, and uh, some of the alternative uh, herbal remedies and those kind of things have been around for like tens of thousands of years in some cases, a lot longer than Western medicine approaches. And, and it's interesting that wh why wasn't there more of an of a approach that, that brought these things into the fold as well as the, the, you know, the Western approach to medicine? Well, I think, you know, in, med in medicine, we really want to focus on what we believe is science. Hmm. And science is randomly assigned double-blind control trials where you take a remedy or a drug or a treatment, you give uh, 500 people the alternative approach, you give 500 people the placebo, you follow them over a period of time, and you see, uh, did that intervention, the drug or the, you know, the whatever it was, did it make a difference in terms of the person's symptom score? Mm -hmm. and, and so medicine has really wanted to focus on the science, which we believe is randomly assigned double-blind control trials. Mm. Interesting. How would you, how would you classify laughter? <laughs> Laughter, you know, there, there's a lot of research, you know, uh, that, that shows that laughter is good for us. You know, when, if you can imagine you're, you're walking down a dark alley and someone approaches you, you know, your muscles tense up, your heart rate goes faster, your blood pressure goes up, you feel like, you know, your stomach turns over, your uh, pupils dilate, your, uh, you want to pee in your pants. You know, those are autonomic nervous systems uh, reaction to a stressor, our heart rate actually speeds up during the laugh, but then goes down to actually less than when the laugh started. Our blood pressure goes up during the laugh, but after the laugh is over, it actually becomes lower. There are neurotransmitters like dopamine and catecholamines and even serotonin maybe released when we laugh. And so there's a lot of research out there, not a lot, well, I mean, there's some research, let's say, that shows that actually laughter is good for us and there's some scientific proof that actually says that but we don't have to have the scientific proof so i guess my question to you doctor is is how would you classify when i said laughter how would you classify it is it an alternative medicine how would you classify laughter well it's not really uh, a medicine you know per se although there is a doctor madan kateria who wrote a book called laugh for no reason mm. and he started the whole laugh yoga movement Mm. And, uh, you know, there are oh, yeah. right. places all over the world opening up where people would get together 
for an evening, let's say for two hours and just laugh for no reason. And people just felt better scheduling that into their weekly program. And so it's not really, you know, in medical, in medicine and medical school, we don't really talk much about laughter. And so I wouldn't classify it as a medicine. So I have a chapter in my book just Mm. about laughter uh, and it's, you know, scientific support. What, what, are, what is the science behind it? Mm-hmm. What shows that laughter is good for us, uh, so, you know, in our bodies, uh, mm-hmm. physiologically? Mm-hmm. And what are some of the research that shows that la- laughter actually helps us? Now, it says you're, you're an expert in laughter. What, what does that mean? Well, you know, <laughs> an expert meaning, you know, I've gone, gone around. Uh, You've laughed a lot. <laughs> well, you know, in the United States and Canada I've, and, and across the world, I've lectured uh, mm. to medical audiences in medical places on the benefits of laughter. I've written about it. That, that's what makes me so-called expert. Mm. And, um, you know, as you, as you said, you've studied Western medicine, but you also look, you looked and started to become familiar with, with the alternative medicine uh, as, as well. Um, so when you're, when you're working with some, a patient, uh, you, you, I'm guessing you try to make more of a holistic approach to, to a person's health. Well, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the physical, uh, you know, emotional, spiritual, uh, psychological aspects of a person in, in a whole way. And uh, so I'm trying to look at the, you know, the total picture. Uh, certainly most of the things I do, uh, you know, in my practice is Western medicine, mm-hmm. you know, treating diabetes and hypertension and obesity and heart mm-hmm. disease and those mm-hmm. things. I take a very Western approach. Mm-hmm. But for some things... Uh, uh, maybe an alternative approach, you know, might be useful. And I find that a lot of people are very interested in alternatives. So they themselves are experimenting and coming to me to say, you know, is this going to be okay if I take this herb along with this drug? Right. Got you. When we look at things like stress and anxiety, you mentioned stress earlier. When we think of, of stress, and I've heard some stuff recently about stress that it cannot necessarily be a bad thing. It's, uh, I guess, how we, how we deal with the stress that it could be a, an issue. Yeah, that, that's right. Hans Selye said that stress is the response of the body to an external stimulus. Mm-hmm. And that mean, meaning that we have the option of how to respond. Stress can be positive, as I say, you know, having a new baby or mm-hmm. uh, getting married or getting a new job or moving to a new home. Those are all what we would consider positive changes, mm. and yet we still can find them, you know, what I would call stressful, the changes that take place in our body. Because stress is happening in the body, it's not external. Many mm. people say, well, that's causing me this, or that's making me feel sad, or that's mm. making me feel bad. But the truth is, we have the option of how to respond. And so you're right, the, it's, it's how we interpret the the um the incident someone says something something happens and we have the option of how to respond we're talking to dr mel borens he's an associate professor of faculty of medicine at university of toronto and the author of go away just for the health of it but you haven't just written the one book you've got another book out i believe as well well you know my first book is called an apple a day a holistic health primer it's a very Mm. simple to read explanation of what uh, holistic medicine is all about. My second book was the uh, Go Away book. Mm. I have a book called uh, Photos and Songs of a Pronoic Physician, which is very positive songs that I've written. And you could go to uh, 
the website and check on uh, the funny medical songs. So if you want to laugh mm-hmm. and giggle, um, there's a, a, a group of songs that I've written that are supposed to teach um, medical topics or, you know, stuff about medicine in a more laughing kind of way. So uh, there's ones about preventative uh, cancer screening, like mammograms and pap tests and mm. fecal occult blood screening. So there's some funny <laughs> songs that you could listen to on um, on Bandcamp, on my website, mm. and uh, giggle. And, mm. you know, so what I say to people is, you know, every day you've got to set aside some time to play. And every day you've got to kind of learn one new joke and practice telling it. And, and just expose yourself to funny books, movies, and TV shows. And if you find someone laughing and they're not putting someone else down, then mm. join in and laugh. Mm. Laugh for no reason, David. So, you know, when we laugh, if we go, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and there's no reason to be laughing, mm. our body can't perceive the difference between laughing for no, there's a slight difference in physiological changes, mm. but uh, Madan Kateria developed this whole laugh yoga uh, movement mm. on the basis of just laughing like that for no reason at all mm. makes us feel different. No matter what's going on, we can always respond with a smile or an inner laugh. Uh, nice to hear and a nice way to end. But as you were saying that, there's one other thing that I thought about, and that is uh, how how important the mind is in our own physiological uh, processing of things, how we deal with stress. I mean, the mind uh, sort of filters all this stuff and, and can have a, a great effect on our on our physical being. That's for sure. Mind, uh, mind affects physical. Physical affects the mind. It's all interconnected. Uh, you know, interconnected, our attitude, our way of looking at things certainly impacts on our health and all these things, you know, interact with each other. Mm. The one thing we do control, the one thing we do have some choice is how we respond. That's the message I want to leave with. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Mel Borens, for being on the show with us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Pleasure. And and, and uh, if you want to find out more about Dr. Mel Borens, uh, you can go to his website once again. That is malborenscreative.com. You can find that online and uh, check out some of those funny medical songs that he was referring to. I think I'm going to do that. Uh, sounds like good for a laugh. As well as uh, some of the other things that he has listed. Many things for you to look at in this time. So check it out. Uh, thanks once again to Dr. Mel for joining us on Moment of Truth. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across Canada. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNT-FM or 95.7 ELMNT-FM. Listen on your device of choice, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right across the country. I have the pleasure of having uh, two people on the line with me from the West Coast, and it was great to be able to coordinate this with them. Uh, I have Robertson, Robert Davidson and Charles Wilkinson on the line, both of them uh, somewhere out in the Vancouver area, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it's it's great to have them because we're talking about uh, a, a new documentary, Haida Modern, that is going to be coming up uh, and and uh, streaming for free as of I believe it is June second, 
and uh, everyone can watch this. Uh, and uh, Robert uh, Davidson is is the one of the people featured in this film pr- primarily. Uh, and Charles is the uh, is the director of this of this project. And it's a pleasure to have them uh, on here. This uh, feature length film. Uh, will air, as I said, on Knowledge Network June 2nd and stream online for free at knowledge.ca. And uh, as I said, it's called Hi to Modern. It's especially timely given the current pandemic around the world, a pandemic that many accounts uh, is very much related to lack of respect for the natural world and creatures and the creatures that populate Robert Davidson's work. So Robert's works uh, revisit the age of wisdom from some 14,000-year-old culture, and nature has pushed the pause button. It's a time out for the crazy path that we're on. Coronavirus is telling us we're in it together, and that's very true. A reminder that uh, all is safe, but we're in a state of transformation, and that uh, we have to take uh, uh, talk to weather uh, to weather this change. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you both uh, on the show with us today. So why don't we start, uh, Charles? Why don't we start with you? Tell me a little bit more about this uh, this, this film um, and why uh, you decided to create this. Sure. Um, Robert Davidson's work has been uh, so present and dominant in the Mm. West Coast world. Uh, You can't go anywhere without seeing it. It's inspiring. It's beautiful. Uh, I've known about Robert's work for most of my adult life. And what we started to realize, because we've worked on the North Coast a lot, is that we saw this this sort of cultural revolution taking place over the last 20, 30 years. 40 years, where there's so much more Indigenous art that's not only being consumed and played and worn by Indigenous folk, but also by non-Indigenous folk, and that we've seen how the messaging in that art is very much environmentally uh, conscious and socially conscious, and we've seen how the messages gain traction more and more, and it began to be clear that one of the key reasons for that was the art. The art is driving the, the, the growing awareness of and popularity in the mainstream culture of ideas like a greater respect for the natural world and uh, much more attention to social justice issues. So Robert's story is really that story. Plus, I mean, film is a visual me- medium, and uh, Robert's work, as most people know who've seen it, is just spectacularly beautiful. So it's hard to imagine a film about Robert's work that isn't just beautiful. Mm. Well, let me uh, let me just uh, tell people a little bit now, if people are not familiar with Robert Davidson, uh, he is an internationally known carver of, of totems and masks. He's a printmaker, he's a painter, a jeweler, and lives in, works out of uh, his studio near Vancouver. And, uh, and also he returns uh, to visit Haida Gwaii quite often. And um, he is the grandson of the Haida artist and memorialist Florence Davidson. And he's a member of the Eagle Moiety. And I cannot pronounce the traditional name of his community, unfortunately. But um, he can tell us that one. And he's also, uh, he is his younger brother uh, and a former apprentice, Reg Davidson, is a Haida carver. Uh, in 1966, uh, he apprenticed with master Haida carver Bill Reed and began studies in uh, the Vancouver School of Art in 1967. And then in 1969, he carved and raised the first totem on Haida Gwaii, 
uh, that was raised in approximately 90 years, uh, which is uh, which is is pretty darn cool right there. So, um, Robert, welcome to to the show. And uh, how how does it feel to to have this uh, have this film uh, documentary made? It it is very surreal <laughs> to uh, and also to see the the images of of what I've been creating for the past uh, five decades. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it, it, it's surreal in that when I first started in 1959, mm. um, the lament was, I was the last living car- carver, and I was 13 years old. But wow. that, that was the national lament. Um, like, like it, it seemed like the uh, Canada wanted to get rid of us. Mm. And, and there's a short film on myself when I was 16. And, and the last one of the last lines in that film was, if this boy leaves the island, the father will lose one of the most promising artists. And, and yet at that time, I, I know I was still a novice. I didn't really understand the art form, but that's what I mean by being by being uh, surreal. Um, I'm, I'm so amazed. I have to go back beyond Bill Reed. Um, it, it was actually my grandparents and my uncles and my parents who created the foundation that I worked from. And, and and many other teachers uh, along the way, including high school teachers. Mm. The the film, the short film you're talking about, uh, now is the time, I believe, Christopher Ochter's uh, 2019 uh, short documentary film. Yeah, yeah, that <clears throat> that documented the uh, first totem pole raising, and it. The idea was instigated by myself, but I know I couldn't have done it without my parents or my mm. grandparents and and the support of the village, the people in, in Mass. Mm-hmm. In, now, of course, uh, we we saw that film and, and I was able to interview Christopher uh, and uh, I found it very interesting. First of all, how fortunate was it to have the fo- footage of you at some such a young age uh, filmed in, I think, 35 millimeter. Uh, it just was spectacular to see. I, I guess that was quite something in its own for you to uh, for you to uh, look back at and, and still see that and bring that to uh, uh, to to fruition. Yeah, like I I feel <clears throat> excuse me I feel um, it, it it was exciting to see all those old people and and mm. when I say the old people. That was the generation of my grandparents, and they, they held, they were the last generation connected to the ancient knowledge, and I say that because my parents' generation, they were yanked from the family life and and and, and yanked to go to their residential schools, 
so that that really broke the the link that that connects connects us the, my my parents' generation were the link that would have carried the knowledge from my, my grandparents' generation. So my generation, we had to do a fast forward, and we were very lucky that um, my grandparents uh, they hosted many meetings in their house with the elders of of the day, and and it, it was like they were all talking their knowledge and, and collectively that knowledge was the foundation to spark many of the songs and, and ceremonies that mm. we practice today. It's a wonderful yeah. catalyst to inspire the elders to come together and, and demonstrate that knowledge. Mm. You know, when you say that, it does remind me of another line from the uh, from the film, uh, Now is the Time, and I, I'm not going to spend too much more on this. I know we want to get to Hyder Modern, uh, Charles, so just give me a moment here. But it, it, I think it, it, it was really interesting uh, because I think you thought, or you mentioned something that at the time you thought you were going to teach the old folks something, when in fact it was you that, that ended up learning something in the process. Oh, absolutely. I, I was very gullible and naive, <laughs> 23-year-old, thinking I knew a lot. But, um, and also the lessons, it took several, quite a few years before I realized what, what, it was, what happened. Mm. It wasn't an instant moment. Um, it mm. took to absorb what, what really transpired there. Right. Right. Uh, interesting. So, uh, so uh, uh, Charles, I appreciate you uh, you speaking about uh, Robert there uh, just prior to getting him on the phone and and asking for that uh, for his his words there. But uh, just a little bit about uh, Charles Wilkinson. He was born in uh, the eastern foothills of the Rocky Mountains. How unfortunate for you. Charles, <laughs> and, uh, don't don't start me, okay? <laughs> and uh, you began entertaining people as a singer at the age of eight. Yep. Wow, uh, a regular on a popular TV variety show. What yep, show was sang, that? We, we sang both kinds of music, country and western. Country and western, okay. <laughs> Great, um, and then uh, I guess. Um, you you got involved with other things. Um, you spent the better part of a decade traveling, working as a welder, mechanic, carpenter, guitar instructor, writer, logger, photographer, and off-the-grid log builder. In short, I was a hippie. Okay, there you go. Um, so, uh, I but you grew out of that eventually. No, I'm still a hippie. <laughs> oh, okay. I just have more are. stuff now. Of course. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay. Um, now, when did you when did you first meet uh, Robert? Um, we were uh, doing. When I say we, I mean my partner Tina Schliesler and I. We were mm -hmm. doing a picture called Haida Gwaii on the Edge of the World that some of your listeners yep. may have seen, and and uh, so we were working on Haida Gwaii a lot, and um, uh, we worked with Robert's son Ben, who's also featured in Haida Modern, who's an amazing, mm -hmm. just an amazing artist. Um, and we, we interviewed Ben for the film, and we were filming at his studio, and Robert happened to be there that day. 
and I believe that's the first time I, I met Robert. I saw him at a potlatch uh, for the, um, the Windy Bay totem pole raising, uh, but we—I don't think we were introduced at that time. Mm. My wife Tina had mentioned or had had met Robert years and years before because her father was a documentary filmmaker, and and he had met Robert through Reed. But um, I, I'd, I'd always admired from afar that work, and and the idea of being able to make a film about it was just so uh, uh, so enticing. Um, I'm wondering, is your wife an artist? Yes, she is. A recording artist. Oh no, not recording. No, no, she's a visual artist. She painted okay. and she did animation, and okay. she produces all her films. Okay. Um, I, I, there's lots of artists on the West Coast, and and uh, the, I was getting confused there for a moment with someone else we may have uh, interviewed. Um, okay, so you you met him. Tell us about why uh, why create Hyde a modern though. What what are we going to see in this? Um, besides being the, the life and times of one of the most important artists in the world, and I think Canadians, we tend to undervalue people if they're Canadian, but I mean, mm -hmm. Robert is, you know, known and collected throughout the world, and you see that in the film. You see how his work is, is standing alongside of the work of the great uh, sculptors of the 20th century. But you're also fundamentally going to see... Um, the worldview that Robert brings to his work and also to the things he, he says, um, a worldview that, that is about the natural world and, and having a, a respect for it, and also uh, a respect for some social traditions that we've tended to really um, push to the side. For example, considering the value of the wisdom of your elders and of your ancestors and the idea of having an obligation, not only to them, but also to your grandchildren you'll see how that can work in a, in a modern-day setting successfully because Robert is, you know, very successful and he has mm. a, a wonderful family who you'll see in the film. And uh, you'll also see the amazing work that he has done and also that totem pole Robert's currently carving on that he's almost finished, I believe, mm. um, which is just an unbelievably spectacular piece of carving. Um, so you'll see all those things. But, I mean, mostly it's, it's really about that worldview um, that, that Robert expresses through his work. It's just so important at this critical juncture in our, in our, our time with the, all the things that are going on right now, the idea that this worldview has been in plain sight ever since the, well, 14 centuries, but more, I'm sure. But mm. when the first explorers came here, they were so obsessed with getting the gold and the furs and the timber and the fish that they ignored the biggest treasure of all. And that was mm. a worldview that would have allowed us to live in harmony and sustainably with the most beautiful natural world imaginable. Well, now mm. it looks like we have a slim chance, and mm. that's really addressed in the film, a slim chance of, of starting to respect those issues because they're critical. If we don't, we will die. I'm glad you said that. That's uh, that it, it's so true, uh, and it's and I think it's so true about not only uh, West Coast Indigenous culture, but uh, uh, right across uh, any Indigenous culture that had so much to offer, and it was overlooked. Uh, for Absolutely, the in Australia, of, New Zealand, uh, you find it, it's just universal that for some reason Indigenous cultures have found ways of living sustainably and beautifully with the world, and mm -hmm. when you combine that with some of the wonderful things that modern Western thinking and technology have come up with. That combination is just unbeatable. We could do such amazing things. We do do such amazing things, but we also do some pretty terrible things. Yeah. And uh, this is a, a beacon for how we could start moving the needle in the, in the right direction. 
Now, I'm going to jump in here and just say, uh, I want to let everyone know, remind you that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in uh, Ottawa. And uh, also on the Radio Player Canada app, if you download the app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM and uh, listen on your device of choice across the country. Um, now, uh, uh, Charles, what you were just saying about... Um, the worldview, and of course, uh, as you were talking and, and, and saying that, I couldn't help but think, especially in terms of, uh, uh, of Robert's work, and, uh, he, you know, I, I, I sort of alluded earlier that, you know, you were, you were born in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains and how unfortunate that was for you. But uh, I also want to say that how unfortunate it is for you to be able to work with, uh, with Robert's spectacular work in, in itself uh, and film it and work with him. Uh, it, 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 you know, it, it, to see, it must be wonderful to be able to f- photograph and work and, and, and film his 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 art um it, it's just you know it, it because i think the camera loves it doesn't it oh no it was terrible it was a nightmare robert's <laughs> horrible to work with <laughs> oh no no it was it was just wonderful is uh, uh to watch a master at work like that mm. is um it's hard to describe what a what a gift that is Right, um, and, but uh, but you know because he he does not only the totems but the masks, um, you know the the West Coast masks are so beautiful because of they ha- they have working parts they're 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 wonderful to see and I'm I'm assuming Robert you do create those those working masks as well. Yeah, I did create them a few years back. Uh, lately, I for the past several years, I've been. Uh, doing painting on canvas and also doing major sculptures. Mm. Right now, I'm working on a 22-foot totem pole uh, for a client in Romania. Wow! <clears throat> Quite a large uh, tree. Uh, the, mm. the girth is five feet across. Wow! And two feet long. And wow! I'm, I'm really excited about where I'm at. Um, profession, professionally in, in the knowledge of being in the art and, and having this experience, I, I feel a lot freer in expressing through either art. Mm. Right. Uh, okay. So, um, just from, uh, from Charles's uh, website, I, I went there, and I just want to say, I want to tell you a little bit about what it says there. It says, about the film, I'm so proud, happy, and honored to bring to the screen our latest feature film, Hide a Modern, about visionary, legendary artist Robert Davidson. Here on the West Coast, pretty much everyone is touched by Robert's work. Even if you don't know Indigenous art and artists, uh, we're surrounded by it. And, and that's very true. And it's, it's, yeah, I think it's gone right across, not, as you mentioned, right across the world. Look at what, uh, Robert's working on right now, going to Romania. It's on the walls. It's in the phone boxes, uh, t-shirts, uh, side of buildings, of course, tattoos, jewelry. Uh, it, it's wonderful stuff to look at. Regalia. Yeah. I mean, frequent rallies, defense, uh, of increasingly threatened natural world. And um, it, it it really is it really is something to to witness. And um, I, I guess uh, Charles, um, you know, I don't want to I want to I don't want to go keep going back to this. But is there is there some sort of um, 
relationship or, or tie-in with with what you've done with with High to Modern and the, this little this short documentary that was made that we talked about. Time is now. Um, actually, there's some footage. The the footage that is used in the the short one that you referred mm. to, uh, Time is now. That that was shot by the National Film Board. Yeah, I think I even knew some of the cameramen who did that. They <laughs> shot on sixteen millimeter airflexes. We have some mm. of that footage in in High to Modern. Right. Um, but to, to, to go back to your question, the, the work that uh, I've been doing for the past decade has been uh, feature documentary films that are about environmental issues and social issues. And if you look back even further, I've been making films for my entire adult life. Mm. Um, virtually everything that I've had any executive control over has always had a great deal to do with place. Place mm. has been really central in, in the work that I've done. And indigenous issues have also been often featured in the work that I've done because I find that those two things are so inextricably linked. Mm. Um, Western people often don't give much of a thought to place and the influence that it plays in their life. Mm. Whereas for indigenous culture, place is the start and the end of everything. So that's been a recurrent theme through everything that I've done. So the high to modern is just really a natural um, outflow of that. that it's, it's a piece of that. It's all from the same cloth. It's an environmental film about social justice issues. Oh, it sounds... Uh, I can't wait to see this. Uh, and as uh, we pointed out, it's going to be... Uh, it's it's going to be shown on the Knowledge Network uh, as of June 2nd and then streaming online for free on knowledge.ca. Uh, any, any... You know, I, 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 let me break in just for a second. Sure. Yeah. We're, we're struggling to keep a, a, a positive point, point of view. We're so disappointed that that all of this fell at this point because, you know, we were off to an amazing start on the festival circuit. We won a bunch of awards that we mm-hmm. were booked into all these wonderful festivals, including Hot Box in Toronto, yes. which is like the most important documentary festival in North America when the coronavirus struck and mm-hmm. all of those festivals were canceled. So right. we're so sorry that we couldn't, you know, we'll, we'll go out and, and screen the film live. Uh, and, and Robert often would... Uh, come and, and do question and answer periods with us. And it was really a, a wonderful event. And we're so sorry that that's all, you know, it's now just, it's online. It's great. I mean, it's great that people get to see it, but the in-person experience is really hard. Oh, I absolutely understand uh, what you're saying there. And I appreciate uh, you jumping in and, and mentioning those things as well. Uh, but that is, of course, the situation we find ourselves in at this point in time. And we're all doing the best that we can, for sure. Yeah, well, I understand. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to have you both uh, with us on the show today. We really do appreciate you taking the time to join us, uh, Charles and Robert. We, we thank you for doing so. It's a pleasure to have you both uh, with us, and we thank you so much. Thank you, David, and thank you, Robert. Thank you, Charles you, and David. Oh, our pleasure, our pleasure, and thank you for all the wonderful work that you, uh, you have done and brought to the world uh, over, over the years. All right, uh, guys, thanks so much. We're going to leave it there. But uh, once again, we look forward to being able to see uh, High to Modern uh, on the Knowledge Network uh, as of June 2nd. The two people we've had with us are right here, uh, uh, Charles uh, Wilkinson, and he's the uh, director of the film, and also uh, Robert uh, Davidson, internationally known uh, Carver of Totems, as well as printer, maker, painter, and jeweler, right here on Moment of Truth. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to 
106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And it is a pleasure to have our next next guest on the show with us. Speaking of anywhere across Canada, well, you might have received a package from Canada Post recently. I'm speaking with Jim Phillips. He is the Canada Post Director of Stamp Services. It's a pleasure to have him on the show because we are talking, in fact, well, ties in with Canada Post and radio. They're celebrating 100 years of radio informing and entertaining Canadians with some stamps that uh, Canada Post launched on May 20th. So, Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, David. Thanks for inviting Canada Post to join you. It's our pleasure. And, and you know, hey, it ties right in with us here at uh, Element FM. So um, why, why, uh, why pick radio to celebrate? Well, Canada Post considers ourselves perhaps the oldest storyteller in Canada. Mm. Uh, Through our iconic stamp program, we've been telling the stories of Canadian innovations and heroes and our culture since 1851. Mm. And uh, what better story than the 100th anniversary of radio uh, for Canada Post to tell through this program? I mean, if not now, when has radio been more relevant ever in the last 100 years? So Mm. we we wanted to tell this story. We wanted the stamps to kind of kickstart the discussion um, about radio and how important radio is in our lives. Yeah, so Jim, the, the stamps that uh, Canada Post came up with to celebrate the the uh, 100 years of radio uh, are quite unique. Uh, thank you. Um, it was a bit of a challenge for us because uh, the moment in time we were celebrating, we had actually picked a moment um, 100 years ago last night when uh, members of the Royal Society of Canada gathered at Ottawa Chateau Laurier for what would be a historic first scheduled uh, radio broadcast by a licensed broadcaster in Canada. Mm. Uh, that was XWA, Experimental Wireless Apparatus. And uh, so the problem was there wasn't a lot of imagery left from there. There was a singer that night, uh, Dorothy <laughs> Lutton, who sang. There was poetry reading and some other uh, but there was no pictures, there was no recordings left, there was no images of the studio, it was a Marconi studio actually, out of Ottawa, mm. so what we decided to do is take a real graphic, we, we featured uh, historical imagery of radios and components and tubes and mics um, from the era, from the early, early 20s, and we had them illustrated, so they kind of look like photographs on the stamps, but they've all been illustrated, and they're fantastic illustrations, so. Uh, by a gentleman by the name of Oliver Bernstein out of Toronto. And the very bright colors, radio sound waves in the middle mm-hmm. joining the two stamps. One stamp representing broadcast, one stamp representing uh, a receiving, um, and some really, um, I, I think, creative use of what would be a radio tuning dial and the call numbers on the side. And one of them is tuned into 1920, and the other stamp is tuned into 2020. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the... Uh, well, from what I've heard the last day or two from uh, consumers and radio broadcasters across the country, they're really resonating. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Um, now, you also, speaking of that, you did this uh, this 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 wonderful uh, ad, I guess, campaign for it, a, a video, and and it takes you through the time uh, up from across the the one hundred year process as well, starting with uh, the images and and uh, depicting what you were just talking about. 
Correct. That's a little social media uh, video that we made in-house by our team, who's a fantastic video team. Um, and, you know, radio is not really about the apparatus, but it's what people recognize. So, so you know, radio is really about you guys, uh, broadcasters, personalities, the on-air, the behind-the-scenes. But we needed something as a hook, and we needed something fun and upbeat. So, uh, so we decided to make this short little social media a video that talked about 100 years of radio, using radios going all the way through the years to old, you know, radios playing different music and focusing on key highlights uh, uh, during the 100 years of what radio would have been uh, informing people about, uh, like Rick Hansen's Man in Motion and, the, mm. you know, the Summit Series 1972 game finale where radio was really, um, you know, really important to people's lives. Uh, I think it's resonated really well. It looks quite fun. It is. And the other really nice thing about it, as I was watching and listening to it, is that you, you just didn't play with the images. You also recognized, or your team recognized, that the audio played a big big role in that, and they uh, simulated the sound qualities of the different time frames as well, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Not only that, but they took great pains in... Um, in the background imagery and, and mm. what you see around the radios and to make mm. sure that it was kind of, uh, you know, time specific as well. And, uh, and we end up with a, you know, a, a broadcast on an iPad, a radio station, though, but through the internet. I mean, this is huge as mm. you guys would know better than anyone. So when you, when you do something like this, uh, celebrating anything, when you, you're starting to work on a, on a stamp that you're going to be, be putting out for public use, what is it you, 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 you are hoping for? What is it you're looking for uh, you know, that you, you want these stamps to do? Well, as Canada's storyteller, we, we want these stamps to tell the story, to start the story so that if people are interested in radio, they'll, they'll go deeper. They'll, mm. The stamp is very, very small, you know, it's 40 mm. millimeters. Um, so part of the program is to um, educate Canadians about different things. Many mm. of our stamps, a lot of people don't know about them. And so this is, uh, they'll educate, oh, we didn't know Canada had the first scheduled license. You know, that this station was perhaps the first in the world to get a broadcast license. That's fascinating. Uh, and there's a deeper story with Canadians that goes all the way back to uh you know, to Reginald Pesden, a Canadian as well, who's responsible for the invention of uh, AM radio and, and many other things. Mm. So we want them to educate. We want them to entertain people. We want them to tell that we want to, we want to tell, it's not really about us. It's not about ours. It's about your story. It's about the story of radio. And that's our mandate for the iconic camp program, which we take very seriously. We happen to have a mandate to do that. Um, through, through our act in the government, and we take it seriously, and we have been taking it seriously since 1851, telling me. You know, many many people, uh, including my uh, my mom, I, I think, uh, uh, was a stamp collector. She had, uh, you know, she do that. Is that, are, are people still collecting stamps? People are still collecting stamps, and stamp collectors are very important to us. They're one, they're one segment of the audience. Um, they're still collecting. In fact, right now, during these difficult times, people are, have turned to their collections in, in uh, droves, um, you know, for things to do. Um, so absolutely, the stamp collectors are still alive and well and vibrant, and uh, they're a big part of our audience, And um, but they're not the only reason we should have stuff. Mm. 
Now, the other thing about this, uh, with this particular uh, stamp and celebrating 100 years, you, you are, you're looking for people to get involved with this process. Absolutely. We're looking for people to get involved and we're, and we're doing a little bit of an outreach program for people. Because, again, it's not really about us. It's about radio. Uh, we know a lot about making stamps. We know a lot about the history of radio now. But you guys, um, you, know, you know about radio. You're passionate about radio. You live and breathe radio every day. So we put a bit of a social campaign together on our social channels, you know, asking broadcasters and, and people behind the scenes to tell us about, uh, you know, their passions with radio, their stories. Why are they involved with radio? And so if anyone was interested, if you could simply go to Twitter or somewhere and, and go hashtag my radio story, they'll see all kinds of stories about the last two days radio personalities uh, across the uh, country. Um, we have another one, which is so we're asking Canadians to thank you, radio. So it's hashtag thank you, radio. So mm. we're asking Canadians to tell their stories about how radio was important to them. Perhaps it was during a big blackout or perhaps it was during an ice storm. Or, you know, when people really turn to radios, all kinds of different radios. You saw people sitting in their cars trying to get the news. Their car radios or crank radios or all sorts. So, so we were really inviting Canadians uh, to share their stories about the radio with us on, this, on the occasion of time. Um, you know, uh, as, as you, were, you were talking there, I, I couldn't help but uh, think about you mentioned you, you know stamps, and uh, and you're talking about the the in-house uh, 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 team that you have that, that put this video together. And just before I ask you this question about the process of of designing and getting in and how long that takes, I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, and that is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in in Ottawa and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app. So uh, uh, Jim uh, Phillips is our guest here on Moment of Truth, and he is the Director of Stamp Services with Canada Post, and just launching a new uh, uh, stamp celebrating 100 years of radio in Canada. And uh, they've also got this uh, hashtag program, hashtag my radio story, and, and people can go there and uh, share their stories about a radio uh, for people that actually work in the industry, which is great. Then they've got another one for the general public to uh, go and uh, and uh, make their comments as well. Uh, Jim, what was that one again? It was my hashtag uh, for the general public. Oh, sorry. It's um, a hashtag thank you radio. Thank you radio. Yeah. Um, but the making of a stamp and, you know, I think, you know, it's, like you said earlier, they're not big. They're, they're quite small. So in, in order to tell a story on a, a very small area that has to be clear enough for people to, to pick up and see and read in a, in a matter of seconds, that in itself is a challenge. Um, how long does it generally take from start to finish for, for a stamp you know, idea to come to life uh, through, the, through the different processes that it goes through? Well, it takes anywhere from a year and a half to two years um, to come to life. But that's, uh, you know, we could, we could, it can be designed quicker than that, but we have to get them out to 6,000. Our, our online stores and all our various uh, retail channels, we've got to engage our marketing team. And so we want to have posters in store. Maybe we're going to, maybe we're going to, um, you know, paint trucks and things. So, uh, so we give ourselves that kind of room um, to do it properly, to get the story right to really engage with experts in the field. 
um, because they know the stories. So we don't know every story. So in, in this case, we would engage with um, uh, museum curators on radio, radio historians, and in this case, vintage uh, radio hobbyists who provided a lot of the equipment that you see here, the photographs, the early, early radios and components and mics, and tubes, and headphones. And so that takes a long time to get it right. Hmm. Um, now, um, you know, when I think of, I don't know why I make this comparison with stamps and, and coins, um, but sometimes coin uh, stamps, not sure if, if sto stamps have ever been embossed or, or raised or anything like that. Uh, that yes, we have. Yes, we've had many, many embossed stamps. Um, we've had, we've had Braille stamps. We've had stamps with lenticular uh, motion on them. We've had holographic mm. stamps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had all kinds of different uh, stamps. We've had one of the first we provided that you could customize the central element of the stamp, whether you wanted to send a love message or a, a write me or a greeting. So uh, those are called greeting stamps. So yes, we have had lots of different things like that. And David, you raise a good point about coins. We, we work very closely with the Royal Canadian Mint. Um, but a country only has very few official means of recognizing uh, their people and their culture and heroes. That stamps, coins, and uh, banknotes, mm. mm -hmm. and 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 so we work very closely with all of those uh, other other uh, groups. Okay, yeah. Now, uh, Jim, we're talking about stories, so I'd like to know: Do you have a story that you can share with us about a, a particular one, particular stamp, or it doesn't have to be a particular stamp? It just could be one story about your uh, association in working with stamps that you think might be interesting for people to hear. Well, um, I've been in the stamp program for quite a while, and we did a series of stamps. I mentioned earlier, uh, Canada rushed in 1972. Um, and at a big anniversary of that summit series, which was a defining moment for Canada and, and sports, uh, we issued some stamps for Team Canada. And, and, and so we did a little cross-Canada journey. Um, to, uh, those games took place in four Canadian cities, uh, in uh, Montreal, uh, Toronto, uh, Winnipeg, and Vancouver. And we invited the, the legends of the game to join us on that cross-Canada tour as we promoted the stamps on ice uh, in Toronto, the Toronto Maple Leafs during a game, and, and Winnipeg with the Manitoba Moose. And I was fortunate enough at that time, I was uh, working with the stamp program and in the, in the PR and the media side to be able to join that tour uh, with people like uh, Trechak and uh, mm -hmm. Henderson and Cornwallier and Serge Savard. I mean, real heroes of the game. So for me, that was a really powerful how passionate people were in about sports, about hockey, about camps, and security. Uh, as you were mentioning that, uh, uh, you mentioned stamp collectors are still alive and well as, as well. Um, what, is there a story you can share about a stamp collector that is maybe mo more enthusiastic than most that, that gets in touch with you and, and might either either have criticism or, or uh, uh, comments about the, the, the stamps that you've brought out? Well, they're very passionate, right, mm. about, uh, about their hobby. And so they always write us or they call us. And, uh, you know, and sometimes it drives my team a little crazy. They're <laughs> like, oh. And I say, look, at you should be happy they're looking at your art at that mm. level of detail. Mm. 
we should be happy that someone cares that much to look with a magnifying glass and a black light and to find things in there <laughs> that we may have hidden in there for them or we may not have. And so uh, there was one particular collector in Toronto. We'd, uh, we were doing a set of stamps on great Canadian goalies. Um, and we were down at the Hockey Hall of Fame doing the event with the goalies. Uh, and the collector came in, a stamp collector came in. He was also a hockey fan and a, and he brought in with him this old goalie mask in a cage for the event. And he had this thing and he was carrying it around with him, like a head in a box almost. Kind of like, and he wanted us to do a stamp on, on uh, the goalie mask and the invention of the Canadian goalie mask. We'd already done one before. But anyway, he was carrying around this artifact and it was kind of, he was putting it on tables. It was kind of. Pretty cool. So that was a funny story of how, how passionate collectors can be to bring you things like that at an event. Uh, right. Uh, things they want to see uh, on stamps. Right. Anything you can share with us about uh, what's coming up in the, in the future? Uh, well, we just had a couple of great stamps. I'm not sure people heard about because of the situation. You know, people are really focused on uh, mm. you know, their health. Recently, we had two stamps come out for the 75th anniversary of the Victory in Europe, VE Day. Oh, yeah. And I'm not sure if enough people heard about those because they're fascinating stories, and I think they're, they need to be told. Uh, one was about um, Veronica Foster, a lady from Toronto. Her name was, they called her Ronnie the Bren Gun Girl. Mm. I don't know if you know that story, but it's a fascinating story. She built machine guns in Toronto. And the Canadian government and the, and the National Film Board were looking for an icon to, to help people on the home front, to drive business on the home front, to get more women into the workforce. And they chose uh, Ronnie and they, they renamed her the Bren Gun Girl and they put an ad campaign together. That was a year and a half before the fictional uh, character in the case, Rosie the Riveter, came out. Many people um, think that's what they built Rosie on. So I think that's a fascinating hmm. uh, that just came out. It's still available on stamps on our online store uh, with another gentleman by the name of Leo Majors, who was a, a sergeant in the war, and he single-handedly uh, liberated the Dutch town of Zoll. Hmm. How he did it, what happened that night. Uh, <laughs> And so I would encourage people to take a look at that. Coming up, we've got some really interesting stamps on Canadian medical groundbreakers, um, and real medical pioneers who, who invented things in, uh, in all different uh, medical fields. Um, so I think that's going to be uh, quite interesting. Mm. Um, and uh, also Mary Ritter Hamilton is coming up, who is a Canadian war correspondent who went to the battlefields and painted uh, many things. So uh, we've got a lot of interesting things. But, uh, you know, uh, with the times we're in, we're kind of, uh, you know, we're kind of reevaluating the program. And we're only putting out really important ones that mm. people need to hear about now and to kind of brighten their day mm. and things that make sense during this time uh, that, we're all, well, that we're all in. Mm. How, how often do new stamps come out? Well, typically new stamps would come out uh, about once every month from January through to about November. And then we kind of go into a blackout period in November as we get into cyber uh, mm. cyber weekend and Christmas mm. when uh, our post office and parcel volumes are, are just taking uh, taking over everything. So we don't mm -hmm. really issue any new stamps at that point. And we're kind of, we're in that period now. Parcel volumes are, are at those levels, if not beyond. So, right. uh, so we're really, um, you know, we're telling the stories that make sense. We wanted to tell the radio story. It was an anniversary. We thought radio was more relevant today than perhaps it ever has been. So uh, we continued on with this stamp. 
and 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 a wonderful stamp it is, and a wonderful story to share for uh, uh, for Canada Post to share and for all Canadians to know about. And uh, so the stamp is out now. Is that correct? Stamp came out yesterday. It's uh, the best place to get it. I would say would be on our online store, CanadaPost.ca uh, backslash shop, or just search our online store. Uh, that's the best way to get it. It's on sale there. There's a really there's a really great first date cover quick envelope that goes with it, uh, featuring a couple of children plugged into an old old radio station, listening <laughs> at night as the broadcasts come in, and maybe it's a story or maybe it's music or entertainment. And uh, I think it's, you can kind of picture how people gathered around the radio. Right. And uh, for people that want to check out the uh, the online uh, video that you put together, where can they go to check that out? They can go to almost any one of our social media channels, uh, Canada okay. Post Twitter account or Instagram or Facebook. It's running, uh, it's running all the time there, and it's really it's only like I think it's like two or three minutes long, yeah. but yeah, it's yeah. a great it's a great little video, just a snapshot of the history of radio in Canada. It sure is, and don't forget uh, for people that uh, want to actually make a comment, they can make a comment. Uh, if you're in the industry, they've got one. Uh, Canada Post, my uh, hashtag, my radio story, and uh, Jim, you were saying the other one uh, for the general public is it's hashtag thank you radio. Right, right, radio. Uh, yeah, and that would be for Canadians just to say just to thank you radio for keeping me informed, for keeping me, getting me to separating the fact from the. From the fiction, from getting me the weather and the news and the entertainment I need. Uh, and so that's kind of how, how radios, that's what we were looking for there is tell us how radio resonated with you when it was really important to you. And yeah, it's kind of like, you know, you know, radio is pretty essential right about now. So it was kind of like, you know, one essential service to another kind of thing <laughs> radio. <laughs> I like it. That's great, Jim. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, David. Uh, you bet. Take care and all the best and looking forward to some other great stamps coming out. Okay, thanks so much. Thank you very much, Jim. That's Jim Phillips. He's the Canada Post Director of Stamp Services in Ottawa. It's our pleasure to have him on the show and thank you, our listeners, for listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa and right across the country. That's our show for today. We'll catch you next time here on Moment of Truth. See you then. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.